From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. The leading cause of homelessness is not mental illness or substance abuse. It is the lack of affordable places to live. Today, Denver's new leader of housing stability, Jamie Reif, says once people have a roof over their heads, the rest of their lives falls into place. Your children can stay in school. There's education outcomes. There's health care outcomes. You're healthier because you have a safe place to go. You can access medical care now. You can access employment because, again, you have an address to put on your application. Denver declared victory on a big goal, meanwhile, but anyone in the metro will tell you it hasn't ended the problem. We'll discuss the huge role domestic violence plays in homelessness. Also, how new immigrants fit into the picture, trends in apartment development away from luxury units, and one thing people with homes can do to help those without. My name is Jennifer Greenfield, and I'm a member of Colorado Public Radio. One of the reasons I love listening to Colorado Matters is that I often listen in on conversations with people I'd love to talk to. And often the question that I'm dying to ask gets asked. um, And so I get the answer that I need. I really look forward to those conversations. Become a member today. It's easy to pledge online at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. As we entered the new year, Denver's mayor declared victory on a big campaign promise. He said the city had successfully sheltered more than a thousand people who'd been without housing, but 30 times as many people metro-wide used homeless services over the past year. So now what? Jamie Reif leads Denver's Department of Housing Stability. Welcome back to the program. Thank you. I appreciate you welcoming me back. Indeed, I interviewed you last August when you led the Metro Denver Homeless Initiative. Now you're in government. I'm interested in how your background influences your approach with the city and county. But first, to that House 1000 goal. Does meeting it mean Denver has addressed the underlying issues? So I think what we've been able to do is move people to safety and security in an interim way, a place for them to be able to be safe, secure, have four walls and a roof over their head. I had the distinct pleasure, before I took the position, I was able to help people move into one of the sites December 31st. And I saw a lot of people that had been outdoors for 5, 10, 15 years who finally were able to come inside and have a place that they could call home, even if it's temporary, so that they could really engage and have a chance to get on their own two feet. Okay, that was with your former hat on, Mm -hmm. but you saw them move into the housing for the House 1000 goal. Now, the operative word in your answer there is interim. Correct. Shed some more light on that. Yeah, what we were able to do, or the city of Denver was able to do under the mayor's initiative was bring a thousand people from staying in encampments, staying outdoors, into different types of temporary situations. Yeah, run through those. So yeah. from tent life mm-hmm. to what? It's either tiny homes or it's motel rooms, motels and hotels. Now really our pivot is how do we get them into permanent housing long-term? Answer your own question. Yeah, no, great question. <laughs> There's so many different ways. So one of the first things that the city did was identify housing resources on the front end. So there are about 500 units right now that we're working to get people into. Okay, so that would be half of the thousand? We hope, yes. Yeah. So it's different like vouchers, it's different sites, it's different 
methods, right, that we have depending on what the person needs. Okay, and vouchers would be for more hotel rooms? So they're rental vouchers. Okay. So different sources from the state, or we have partners at the Denver Housing Authority who are providing rental subsidies for people to be able to move into permanent housing. Okay, how long do you expect that to take? It depends on the household. I think the other exciting thing that's happening right now for Denver is we were named the seventh all-inside community in the fall. All inside? Yeah, all inside. So we're one of seven cities that's going to have someone from the federal government who will be on the ground actually with us here. And their job is to cut through red tape. They have a direct line to secretaries at the federal level. To red be- tape like what? Oh, for example, when I go to move into an apartment, if I don't have my documents or I don't have proof of income, yet I'm experiencing homelessness, which obviously shows I don't have enough income to afford an apartment, we can waive that. So we're That's a, a federal requirement. It's a federal requirement for some of these programs as proof of income, you know, your documentation. These are all things that we can get once someone is in a unit. We did this during COVID. It was super helpful. L.A. just received waivers like that because they're also part of this initiative. And again, it is one of the tools to really be able to move quickly uh, and getting people into housing. And this person just started. They did. We're very excited. Now, you said that about half of the 1,500 units you have standing by that are more long term. That leaves 500 people Mm -hmm. in interim, as you say, Mm -hmm. housing. That seems serious. Yeah. So that's 500 to start. Um, we have some other resources that we're looking at, as well as a partnership with a platform called Housing Connector. And what they actually do is work with us. It's a tech platform that works off of Zillow. And what it does is... For- Zillow, like where I might shop for a home? That's correct. So Zillow has a partnership, and this Housing Connector is a nonprofit that was formed in Seattle. And what they have is the ability for case managers and people to log in to a special portal and see where there are affordable units that might have lower restrictions or barriers. So they might waive credit requirements. They might waive some of the criminal background checks that we see and some of those things that really inhibit people from being able to move into housing. So we've partnered with Housing Connector as well to help identify more units and pair that with the people that are experiencing homelessness and are housed at Thousand Sites. Is that a drop in the bucket? Like, are we expecting five or 10 people to find housing through that? Or do you think that's a game changer? I think it could be, you know, one of the tools that we need. Because what we have is really a spectrum, right, of people that have very high needs who probably need a really permanent, supportive housing situation where they need a permanent subsidy. They have some sort of disability that's going to inhibit them from working long term. So we see that. And then what we have, Ryan, are about 40 percent of people experiencing homelessness work. And so this is really... Wait, oh, let's stop there. Yeah. More than a third of people experiencing homelessness have day jobs? That's correct. Or night jobs. But or they night have, jobs. Yeah, but they have employment. And I think that's a piece that we don't really think about or focus on a lot is 40% of people in general do have employment. It's just that they don't make enough to actually be able to sustain housing. Jamie, what I think I hear you saying is that Denver's mayor and the folks around him like yourself, are not satisfied merely with getting people into interim housing. Your job is to get them into more stable 
That's correct. Roofs over their heads. Yeah, our role is really, and we we knew this going in, is like this is a step to getting people stable so we can do the things, Ryan, like get them any sort of mental health, substance use disorder. We can get them their documents. We can get them linked to benefits, employment, all of those things, which is so much harder to do if you're staying outside. If they're living in encampments, all of those things you just listed become much more difficult to achieve. And so it becomes a vicious cycle. It does, correct. So something is gained merely by getting people out of tents. And also, I think, you know, in talking to people that have been at the House of Thousand Sites, they feel a sense of hope and connection that they've never felt before. The 60% of folks who do not work and are experiencing homelessness, what are the reasons? In other words, uh, you cited disability as mm-hmm. perhaps one of them. Mm-hmm. Can you reflect yeah. more on the uh, the other portion of that population? Yeah, I think it depends. So we have, I think one of the things that we're seeing now is a really sharp increase in the number of people experiencing homelessness for the first time or who are newly homeless. And a lot of that is a result of either the COVID pandemic and truly all of the aid and all of the protections we see finally running out. While most of us are, you know, saying, oh, we're done with COVID, you know, we're in this post-pandemic, for a lot of households, the economic impact is just finally hitting them. These are folks perhaps who lost employment Mm -hmm. in the pandemic. Correct. And are still in that predicament. Yes, they're still in that predicament or they got really behind on rent and are underemployed and don't have the ability to pay rent. We've seen um, a sharp increase in January and February of the number of people applying for rental assistance through the city just because there are so many people that are now in really challenging situations. And aren't evictions through the roof too? They are. And this is where I feel like we are finally seeing the full economic impact for families who were able to hang on during COVID and even a little bit post-pandemic. But now we're just really seeing between that and the rising cost of housing as this perfect storm of a lot of households experiencing instability for the first time. Because there was there was aid, there was cushion in the pandemic. Yes. And you're seeing what happens when that's taken away. Yeah, and the federal and government's it, funding is running out. One of the things that I think was interesting um, that we're seeing an increase in is how family and relationships are affecting people experiencing homelessness and that breakup of families. And we see that particularly with people that are fleeing domestic violence. We're seeing that with a lot of young people who are having that tension in the household. They're having that family breakup and do not have, particularly if you are a single income earner, the ability to survive on your own. I mean, your former organization, the Denver Metro Homeless Initiative, identified relationship problems, family breakups, coupled with that high cost of housing as the leading factor for homelessness over the past year. And, you know, Jamie, my heart breaks for people experiencing strife at home, period, right? And then those who must live on the streets Mm -hmm. as a result. Are there things you're pushing for in your new Denver role to address that specific cause of homelessness, that, that idea of violence at home? Yeah, I think our city does a good job. We have a really strong Department of Human Services that works on a lot of those things. I think at the end of the day, though, Ryan, we have to be looking upstream. The reality is, is like that sort of tension and strife is a lot of times a fallout of other 
challenges and system failures. Mm -hmm. So we have people not making enough money. We have childcare that's unaffordable. We have rising healthcare costs. We have the rising cost of education. These are all things that like contribute to stress in the household. And, you know, couple that with a pandemic and there's just a lot of stress that households are feeling right now. And a lack of attainable mental health support. It really is challenging. You know, we've seen such a sharp increase in people needing those services, yet we just simply don't have the amount to be able to meet that need. Could you share a story, lest we feel too daunted, could you share a story of someone who's struggling with housing or has had a win who's affected how you think about this issue right now? Yeah, I think a couple of things that are top of mind for me right now is we are in the midst of an affordable housing crisis. We have a homelessness crisis. And then on top of that, we now have a migrant crisis. And so that has also put, you know, a lot of strain on our city in different ways. And so I know for me, as I'm out talking to our newcomer families, this is what I consistently hear is I just want a job. I just want to be able to work and provide. Um, I was at a, a youth shelter not so long ago, and I met a couple of young men who were 17 and 18. And I was speaking with them, and I just asked them, you know, like, what is it that you need? And they were like, I just want a pair of shoes that fits, and I want a job. Okay, I want to present an idea to you yes. that we heard from a scholar recently who's written a book that kind of turns our thinking about the immigration system on its head. And he says that there is a way legally that a city like Denver could say, well, if we have all of these new folks who need work and we've got potholes to fill and pools to clean and rec centers to keep open, the city of Denver, instead of handing out aid, could hire some of these folks and say, we'll be the employer. And that there potentially is actually legal standing for local communities to do this and not get in trouble with the federal government. Is any kind of discussion like that happening in the city of Denver? There is nothing off the table right now. We're really trying to be creative in our thinking. I would personally love to speak to this scholar. <laughs> okay. I'll send you the podcast. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Again, I think we're open and we have employers, right, who want to hire people. We have work. We have skilled labor who uh, want to work. It's just a matter of being able to make that happen. Okay, um, we're going to be a connector. Great. M who knows where the idea will go. <laughs> uh, a caveat on the, on the idea of the new immigrants in Colorado. The Johnson administration recently announced it'll ask some of those folks who've been living in city shelters to leave those shelters in the next few months. Jamie, how should that affect our understanding of who is unhoused right now and how to help them? It, it seems to complicate the picture. Mm -hmm. We are working towards decreasing the amount of people that we're sheltering every night. That being said, Ryan, our team is working really, really hard to make sure that people have plans. So that means, do you have a place to live? Do you have a place to go? We have amazing partners who are working with us to make sure that both families and single adults have a very solid plan as they're leaving the shelter. Are you finding that most of the folks in the shelter have some family already here or friends or some sort of net? Some of them do, and I can't speak like to the data or anything yeah, like the that, but um, just because this really falls under human services. Mm. But what we are seeing is that people do have a lot of connections and like how do we get them to that place where there is a connection, where they do have some stability. 
I think a lot about something you told us in the summer, which is that the vast majority of people who experience homelessness in Metro Denver were previously housed in Denver. That is to say, as much as we might other Mm -hmm. people experiencing homelessness, you've come from another place and now you're kind of interloping here on the street. Uh, That's not true. Has the arrival of new immigrants changed I think uh, it, the the fundamental truth of that, or I think it may. I don't. Again, we don't have the data yet to know that. I will say, in the most latest report that just came out from the Metro Denver Homeless Initiative, eighty eight percent of people that answered that question are from the state of Colorado. So we are seeing consistently that eighty seven, eighty eight percent of people are from Colorado that are experiencing homelessness here. That fundamental reality, yes, is yes. not changing. Mm-mm. Okay. The next trend in development. I understand, is going to be workforce housing rather than the luxury apartments of the last several years. This is according to the Colorado Apartment Association, and our colleagues at Denverite brought this to my attention. Do do you buy that, one, from the industry? And what do you think that will look like? Yeah, I do buy it. I've seen a lot of the data that do show like that's where we're headed because that's where the demand is. That's what the market wants. That's what the market wants, right, is we have a really high vacancy for our luxury units, whereas our more affordable and like a lot of our workforce housing and that missing middle, we tend to call it, we don't have. Mm. So I do believe that that is where it's going to head. And I also, you know, I'm watching the projects come through. The mayor's team has gotten some criticism, including from inside city government, about where you're housing people on, again, that word interim basis. One concern came from council member Stacey Gilmore, who feared the city may be consolidating poverty in certain areas. I mean, as our colleagues, again, at Denverite have reported, quote, so far, most of the new shelters created under this administration have been in District 8, one of the last plurality black neighborhoods in the city. One of the things that we've been able to do now is there are shelters in across across three different districts with two more to come, which will make it across five districts. And so we, as a city, are working to identify areas across the city and across different districts to make sure that we are being equitable in our placement. What is the resistance? Is it nimbyism to some extent? The mayor went out and did 60 different community meetings when he was planning this and really heard from communities around the challenges. I think one of the things that we need to recognize as a city is this is our collective issue and being open to having affordable housing, you know, places where we're housing people in an interim role, all of those things are are something that I hope that we can all look at as an entire city. Is that a tough sell in Cherry Creek? I think it's a tough sell in a lot of places. Again, I think it's part of a mindset shift around this is our collective issue as a city and like let's all be part of a a solution. Is that a message as well for communities beyond Denver? Around, tell me more. Well, just this idea that it's our collective responsibility. I mean, I know that you now work for the city and county of Denver, whereas in a previous life, you were more metro wide. But does Denver have some responsibility to disseminate that message across the metro? I think what we see again in the data is that people are moving in and around the region a lot. And so because we have a data system that's highly functioning now, we're able to see that 88% of the people that are homeless in Denver are from Colorado. We're able to see where people are moving around the region. So I think it is both a city-county issue and a regional issue. 
How is the we're not a sanctuary city message Mm -hmm. around the new arrivals? How is that message from some communities complicating this question? Because, again, there's overlap between homelessness and the new immigrants. Yeah, I think we've done a, a really good job of figuring out new and different ways that we are making sure that our newcomer population has a safe place to go. It's a complicated issue, Ryan, and the fact that the federal government did not pass a bipartisan bill to really help this out, was it a perfect bill? No. But would have been very helpful to those of us that are struggling with this right now? Absolutely. And that does complicate things and put us in kind of a a different era, if you will. Yeah, I think it's interesting that Washington policy can feel so removed sometimes. Mm. But in the discussion about immigration and a fix it's become very clear to me how direct and immediate that is on local communities. And we've heard the mayor say that as well. We have. And, you know, as we're looking at data and how many people we're welcoming every day and all of those things, they're directly related to federal policy. And without the federal government's support, cities are really struggling with this issue. Denver saw record high cases last year, and 2024 is already off to a worse start than last year at this time. What can you do about that? Yeah, so one of the things that's really, really important when we're looking at housing instability is having prevention dollars. That means having money to prevent a person, yes, they might be served with an eviction, but making sure you have interventions in place so they're not actually evicted. And so that might look like um, subsidies. It might look like them having legal representation when they go to the eviction hearing. These are all things that the city has invested heavily in. Talk to the person who says, why is this city spending money on attorneys for people who might be evicted? Yeah. So in the long run, it's actually much less expensive to do that. When we're looking at eviction, so we could spend a little bit of money on an attorney, or we could spend $9,000 to rehouse them, plus all the costs of whatever the temporary solution is while they're experiencing homelessness. Not to mention the amount of trauma that we're avoiding for that family, the fact that an eviction is now on their record, and will follow them for years to come and make it harder for them to be able to rent. Okay, one potential solution you and I have not yet talked about is an experiment in Denver Mm -hmm. called the Basic Income Project. This is lump sum or monthly payments. The monthly payments could be a thousand bucks, for instance. And findings from the first phase show that fewer people were living outside as a result and that there was an increase in employment. Should you be working to expand that program? Yeah, we're very excited at the city of Denver that we've allocated $4 million for that project because we do see the promising results that have come thus far. I think it also just shows back to the housing costs is if people just have a little bit of extra money every month, they can stabilize on their own. They can get employment. And I think that for some people, that is a really foreign idea and kind of just changes how they see homelessness and how they see housing instability. Because I know the criticisms I originally heard around this project is people are going to spend it on drugs and alcohol and all. That's not the case. People are spending it on housing and that stability. Bring us through the rest of that thought. So they they are then able to find housing, Mm -hmm. there's stability, and then what? What are all the things that flow after you've done that? Yeah, after you've done that, I mean, it's your children can stay in school. 
there's education outcomes, there's healthcare outcomes. You're you're healthier as humans because you have a safe place to go. You can access medical care now. And then you can access employment because again, you have an address to put on your application of where you live. So these are all things that like a house is where you start to be able to do all of these other things. If you could get each person listening to this interview to do one thing to help address homelessness, what would it be? Here's what I'd ask. I think we have a lot of misconceptions around homelessness that I would love for people to start talking to their neighbors about, talking to their families about. Name the one at the top of the list. Yeah. Housing is the number one cause. A lack of affordable housing is the number one cause of homelessness in our region, period. It is not substance use. It is not, you know, mental health. Those all contribute in some cases. But the biggest need we have is around affordable housing. And that's why, particularly in our region and other high-cost cities, we see so much homelessness. And if people understand that, they ask for something different, perhaps, from their leaders. They do. And we focus on things like we've talked about earlier, affordable housing. We've talked about workforce housing and the ability, if once people get into stability, what they're able to do on their own. But that starts with a home. Hmm. But isn't the market, I mean, we've said earlier that if the apartments now are starting to be more attainable as opposed Mm -hmm. to luxury stuff, you're just kind of subjected to the whims of the market. We are in some cases, but then there are other programs out there that are very effective in creating long-term subsidies for affordable units. So creating units that are long-term, like 99 years affordable. So while the market is one piece, there's also other programs and other levers that we utilize to create those deeply affordable units. And this is where I always say this, Ryan, there's no silver bullet. There's no one thing that's going to magically fix the amount of affordable housing we need right now. It is a variety of tools. It is, you know, we're looking at ADUs. So that's uh, accessory, accessory dwelling, dwelling units, units mother-in-law suites. Yes. And so there's, we as a, a city or region, even a country need to be looking at what are all of the tools available? And not just saying, like, this is the thing that's going to solve everything. Between you and the governor, ADUs is like the word of 2024 <laughs> in Colorado. It is the word of, yeah. Your boss, Mayor Mike Johnston, has said he'll end homelessness by the end of his term in 2027. Is that bunk? So here's what I'll say. I wouldn't have taken this job if I didn't think it was possible. It's interesting because I was going to ask if you would have a different answer to this question under your old role. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I'm here because I do think it's a solvable issue. Now, when we say homelessness is solvable, I want to be really clear. That does not mean you are never going to see anyone experiencing homelessness. What that means is that we can quickly get someone into housing and keep them there. We call it rare, brief, and non-recurring for a household. Can you house them in 30 days? That is the test. Rare. Brief. Brief. And non-recurring. Non-recurring. And so it's not to say, because I think when people, you know, hear the words ending homelessness, they think, oh, we'll never see anyone. That's just so unobtainable. And that's not what we're trying to get to. We're trying to get to a system that can quickly get people housed. Jamie, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I appreciate the time and opportunity. Jamie Reif, who leads Denver's Department of Housing Stability, produced by Rachel Estabrook. You've heard this on listener-supported CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner.